you are listening to the Grace of Bel Air Sermon Podcast. Grace exists to help people discover a life of purpose in Jesus Christ through discipleship and serving one another. For additional information, you can visit us online at www.graceofbelair.com. And now, we invite you to enjoy this week's sermon. It's a little cold out there, but uh, we're so excited to have you here in the house of God today. We look forward to uh, just sharing God's message with you from his word. Um, just to thank, thank the worship team for such a powerful time of worshiping the Lord together. Uh, looking forward to continuing in our series this morning on uh, the book of Romans. We've been walking through uh, this amazing book. Some scholars have called it the gospel according to Paul. Uh, many scholars have believed the Apostle Paul has um, been following the Lord Jesus Christ for about 20 years up to this point when he writes it. So he's experienced a lot of things. The guy that used to persecute Christians for a living is now uh, this strong Christian leader preaching the gospel to many places around the world during this time. And uh, God has done some many, many different things in his life, and he's discovered uh, many things about God's grace. And so he writes to the Roman church in Romans chapter 3. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you have, want to take notes, you can get on our Version Bible app um, and you can click on the more and you can click on events after that and then you'll see our church name. Uh, you can also scan the code on the back of these seats that you can do that as well with your camera lens. Uh, that will give you access to the notes and write them, some things down, maybe some things that God is speaking to you in that moment uh, to help you and refresh your mind this week as you walk through life. Uh, but as we've been looking at this, uh, you know, when I, when I was looking at this, I was reminded of, uh, you know, all these different truths that we're going to be looking at today, um, and, that, and we're going to talk about them but uh, how, how many of you, especially now at your work, you're wearing several hats, like you're doing several things right now that you normally weren't doing before, right? Um, now, if, you were, if you've been driving around town, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's a lot of hiring signs, right? Um, there's, everybody seems to be hiring right now. So every time I drive by one of those, I know that there are employees there at that place that are doing multiple things right now, and they need somebody to come in and kind of relieve some of that pressure off of their shoulders. Um, and so that there's, there's many different hats uh, that people can play. How, if you're a parent, how many of you have had to play different hats with your kids, right? You're like, I'm the provider, I'm the, I'm the giver, you know, I'm the chef, right? You're the, you're the disciplinarian, like you have to provide that. Uh, you know, you have to do a number of different things because that's just required of you at times. And, uh, you know, I have, a, I have two kids, two boys. One's Isaiah, he's five, Everett's two, and uh, they're crazy. And they both have recently discovered, uh, well, my, my son Everett has discovered this, but my oldest son Isaiah at one point did discover this. One time I went, uh, you know, and had to, you know, if you're a parent, when you try to feed your kids, how many of you know the stuff they actually need to eat, like the good, healthy stuff? How many of you know that takes an eternity, okay? It's like, what, 
why don't just put it in your mouth? Like literally you're bribing your child just to eat something, right? But then when it comes to like candy or especially ice cream, which both my boys love, it's like they just lose their minds and they just gobble it all up within seconds. And uh, they eat that ice cream so, so fast. And so my, my, my boys both love ice cream. And one time I had gotten them ice cream not too long ago. And we went to the parking lot where there was a, a playground at. And so they were eating their ice cream. And Everett is just going to town. Like he's two. He's just like going to town with his ice cream. And then out of nowhere, I'm watching him. Out of nowhere, he just starts screaming at his ice cream. And I'm like, there's, my kid is possessed of something. I don't know what's happening right now. Like he is just, every bite he takes, he's yelling at it. And I'm like, what is happening? Why is he screaming at his ice cream? Like, why does he stop? And then it dawned on me, he's experiencing his first brain freeze. <laughs> but he doesn't know what's, what's triggering the brain freeze. And so he only does what he knows to do. And that is yell at the ice cream every single time. And so in that moment, I, as a parent, had to educate my child, Everett, on what uh, a brain freeze is. And so he uh, reluctantly accepted the teaching lesson in that moment. He realized he had to eat it much slower, which he, he did. And so he was fine after that. And so he learned a very valuable lesson. Uh, and so as we look at this passage of Scripture today, we're going to see uh, several hats that God wears. And, and you may be wondering, how does God how does God do that? How does he remain true to every part of his character? I don't know if you know this. There's a lot of characteristics of God, right? There's a lot of things that God does, and it's part of his character. So how does God remain true to all of these characteristics, right? And so there's three of them this morning. We're going to talk about that God remains faithful. Everybody say faithful. God is faithful. Put that in the comments. He, he remains faithful. So how is God able to remain faithful when he tells us in his word that humanity is faithless? Right? So how does God remain faithful? So how does God remain? The second one would be God remains righteous. Everybody say righteous. Put that in the comments. God remains righteous. God remains righteous. How does God... Now, here's, I'm going to give you a quick definition of righteousness. All right? Righteousness is not avoiding sin. That's not what that is. Righteousness is confronting it and dealing with it. That's what righteousness does. It, it deals with the sin because God would not be righteous if he would just avoid it. So he has to deal with it. Why? Because it's in his character. It's in his nature. That he has to do it. And so we're going to discover that. We're also going to discover that God is gracious. Everybody say gracious. Put that word in the comments, gracious. So how is God able to remain faithful? How is he able to remain righteous? And how is he able to be gracious towards us? Like all these different characteristics, we're going to talk about three of them today. Um, as we've read in the book of Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul is talking about his desire to preach and be in Rome. He wants to preach about Jesus to people in the area of Rome. And he's, he's writing this to the Christians in Rome. Uh, but he also lists something in that first chapter too. At the very end of it, he starts revealing this, this phrase called the wrath of God where he's literally saying that the heart is, is, is not only, uh, or there's not only a law in the Old Testament that tells us some things about God and, and what he looks at when it comes to sin, uh, but there's also, for the Jewish people, they would know that law, but there will be some people that don't know what that law is. However, God is saying, I've put it in their heart. Like, they know that it's wrong, right? Like, have you ever, you, you didn't need education on certain things when it comes to right and wrong choices. There was just certain things in your brain, you're like, I know that's wrong. I don't need somebody to tell me that. I just know it for a fact. It's because God is, has put things in your heart to tell you that's wrong. 
And so that's what Romans chapter 1 talks about. It has this uh, concept towards the end talking about the wrath of God, which I know a lot of churches don't like to talk about that one. But it is important because it's going to be brought up here in chapter 3. In chapter 2, we learned this last week from Pastor Josh about how we all need a Savior. There's, there's sin uh, that is against the law. It, it runs against our conscience, and so we have to deal with that sin. So we need a Savior. We need to be rescued. And then chapter 3, we're going to see how God starts to deal with it. We're going to see how, how humanity needs to evaluate themselves. And what, do they, what does God find when he evaluates humanity? That can be kind of a scary place, right? It's like, hey, search, search my heart, oh God, right? That's what one of the scriptures tells us is, is this, this idea of search my heart. Like that's a dangerous prayer to pray is God search my heart because he, he will find things, right? And so, uh, and he already knows these things about us. It's more so of us being, uh, or making it known to ourselves. But as we look at this, there are three truths we're going to talk about. Number one is going to be God remains faithful. In chapter three, the verse, the first couple of verses is just talking about to the Jewish people how, how they have, um, you know, there's benefits to being Jewish because he knows that there is going to be uh, different angles and debates that are going to happen based off of what he says here. And so he's addressing a lot of different things. He's having a lot of almost debates within the letter itself because he knows what people are going to do. And so you find him going in different, different directions constantly because he knows the mind. He knows how people are thinking. He knows the questions they're going to have about the statements he's making. And so he even addresses some of this here about the, the views that are going to be brought up that he, he, they think he's encouraging, and so he's going to address all of that, um, and, and then some in, in the letter of Romans. And so as he teaches us this, he says, hey, the Jewish people have been entrusted with the very words of God. We would not have the Bible if it wasn't for them. We would not have these words in this book because of what they have done. They've been entrusted with the very words of God, which is super important to have. And so as we look at this, there, the first thing that we're going to bring out is God remains faithful. And so let's, let's dive into this. It says, what if some were unfaithful? Where their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Let God be true and every human being a liar. As it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you judge. But if our righteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust and bringing his wrath on us? I'm using a human argument. Certainly not. If that were so, how could God judge the world? Someone might argue if my, my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and so increases his glory, why am I still condemned as a sinner? Why not say as some slanderously claim that we say, let us do evil that good may result, their condemnation is just. So here, here's the, even that last part of that verse there, you see that little side note that here's the Here's people misinterpreting what he's actually saying. He said, this is what people are accusing me of, that, that I'm giving them reason to sin. And he's like, that's not the case. And so he has to further explain more of these things that he's talking about. But he's going to talk about here about God's faithfulness. Because he's going to tell us that there are empires that have come and gone. People have risen. They have fallen. There's been the Jewish people who've had good seasons and bad seasons. And all throughout, God has remained faithful through it all. Now, here's what's so very important to understand is the verse that he quotes from Psalm 51. This is a very important psalm uh, to know about, 51 verse 4, because this is David writing after what had happened with Bathsheba. Okay, so some of you know about David and Bathsheba. Let me just summarize it for everybody. David was the second king of Israel. 
He is uh, considered to be a man after God's own heart. But David messes up, and he messes up big time. He is supposed to be off at war with his troops, but he's not. And so he goes up on the roof one day, and he sees this beautiful woman on another roof. And she's bathing. And guess what David's doing? He's looking, and he's fantasizing, and he he decides to act on that fantasy and invites her over they, they decide to have sexual relations with one another, and guess what? She's pregnant. Oh, and by the way, her husband is at war, and it's not just any person. It's not any random soldier. This is actually one of David's fighting men. This is actually a close friend. David has messed up big time. And so what does David do when he finds out she's pregnant? He invites Uriah back, tries to get him to sleep with his wife, so that way the plan and all the cover-up has taken place right? He, he wants to cover this whole thing up. It doesn't work. Uriah doesn't do it. And so Uriah goes back to the line, and he sends a message to the commander, and he says, when Uriah goes and fights, withdraw from him so he dies. And it happens. Uriah dies. And David is looking like this wonderful guy because he invites this now widow into his palace to take care of her, when all the while the sin has been committed, and, the, and it's just awful. Right? And then he gets approached by Nathan the prophet who calls out the sin. And so now David understands the justice of God in this moment where God tells him the kingdom is going to be torn in two and it's going to start within your own household. And it happens with Absalom, one of his kids. One of his kids literally is destroying his kingdom. It's ripping it in half. It divides. It is a terrible situation. And so David writes this psalm in Psalm 51 verse 4. And this is what he says about the decision that God made when it comes to justice. He does not say, God, that's not fair. How many know David doesn't want fairness? Because David knows what fairness will bring. His predecessor, Saul, the first king of Israel, thought, God needs me in order for his promises to remain true. How many know that's pride? God does not need Saul. For his promises to come true. And, date, or, and Saul put himself in a position where he says, God, you need me. Otherwise, your plan doesn't work. That's pride. And it ended up destroying Saul to the point of literally where he gets the kingdom and his family just pulled out of the kingdom. They're gone. And so David takes the throne. David knows what fairness looks like. And he knows what he deserves. And what God does in this moment as he pronounces judgment on David's decision. And David says, you are right. Look at this. You may be proved right when you speak. I mean, how many times have we looked at it and say, God, not only forgive me, but take away the earthly consequence. And David says, I understand, God, you've forgiven me, but there's an earthly consequence to my decision. There's a consequence to it. But God, I am not going to say to you that it is unfair because what I deserve is worse than what I have been pronounced with right now. Much worse. And I am thankful of your grace in this moment. And he says, and you prevail when you judge. Your judgment is true. I agree with it. And I am thankful for it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to explain this idea that God is going to remain faithful. You see the difference between Saul and David it was right here. Saul acted like he was repenting when he really wasn't. It was false humility. We find that out. We see Saul act like he's repenting, but he's really not. 
It's false humility. We see David repent, and it's real humility. We see it truthful. We see it play out. And we see David over and over and over again humble himself before God. This is beautiful to see the differences between the two. I'll give you another example. Is the Israelites themselves, the Jewish people, they were at one point in time enslaved in Egypt. Um, And so God delivers them. He pulls them out of Egypt from a powerful kingdom at the time. God leads them through the Red Sea, right? And he's taking them through the wilderness because he's given them a promise of a new land, right? It's going to be beautiful. The Bible says it's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be prosperous. They're going to have, they're going to enjoy it. And then God realizes that they need food. They realize they need food to survive, but there's not really anything growing in the wilderness. I don't know if you've ever been in a wilderness before, but there's not a whole lot of selection, right? So what does God do? He provides manna from heaven. He provides food from heaven. And then they start to get this food over a period of time, and they keep eating it. And how many know that, have you ever, have you ever done something for somebody, or you, especially for your kids, and you do it over and over and over again? And guess what? They at one time maybe were grateful for that, but now they start to treat it as like, like they start to grumble towards you. They're like, I don't want this anymore. Or why do I have that? I want something better. And you're like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I see a lot of parents nodding, yes, (laughs) and bumping their kids maybe. And they're like, see, listen to Pastor Bobby right now, right? It's it's this grumbling attitude, right? It's like, but you know what grumbling is in the Bible? It's a serious offense. It's a serious offense towards God. And so they're walking through this wilderness. The wilderness was not their destination. It was the new land. But because of their grumbling, God says, you're not going to see it. Your kids will, because I'm remaining faithful to the plan. But you're, you're not personally going to see it. You're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Because you know why? You know what grumbling is biblically towards God? You know what grumbling is? It's like if you can imagine like a throne, and then God's on the throne. You know what grumbling is biblically? It's saying to God, get out of the seat. I'm taking charge. My plan is better. Get out of the seat, God. That's what grumbling is in the Bible. And that's why it's listed as a serious offense towards God. Because you're literally saying to God, I have a better plan for you than for, or for my life and for my people. And so God makes them wonder in the wilderness because of that. And their perception was off because the wilderness was not their destination they thought that, that that was it. This is what God really is bringing us out to? Are you serious? We can, we can have it. And they even wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to slavery. Like, how crazy is that? Right? And it's over. You see this happen over and over and over. And you're like, what in the world is there? But we do it all the time. Right? If something doesn't go the way we want, we start to complain and say, God, what are you doing? The, the issue wasn't that they were in the wilderness and walking through the wilderness. It was their perception of the wilderness. What was the wilderness meant to be? It was a growing stage. It wasn't their place. It wasn't their home. It was a growth of their character development. So that when they possessed a new land, the new blessing, this new area of life they've never experienced before, they would handle the blessing properly. But because of their own grumbling, their own complaining, they remained in the wilderness because they were unwilling to let their perception shift. And that's a dangerous place. I've been there where I've literally had to say, God, forgive me of my grumbling. Because now I know what it really means to grumble against you. 
Your plan is much better than my plan. Your ways are much higher than my ways. And I, and I say to you, God, you are faithful to lead me through the wilderness. And I can't wait to see what's on the other side. I can't wait for you to develop my character stronger, better than ever before so that I can handle the blessing that you have for me because I don't want to lose it and I don't want to destroy it. It takes just a few minutes for God's blessing to be destroyed in your life based off of decisions. I've seen it so many times. And this is what you and I are called to do, is that you and I are called to trust him and his faithfulness and his plan for your life. This is beautiful because God is going to remain faithful through it all. Now, Paul is going to um, address some things, basically, because he knows the direction that this is going to take some people's minds. He's going to look at them, and, or they're going to look at this and say, well, if God's righteousness is still brought out after our unrighteous acts, then we should be exempt from God's wrath, right? And he's like, nope. This is not going to happen. See, God has, he's starting to bring up this whole righteous thing. He's preparing them for this moment of dealing or of, of defining what righteousness looks like in God's eyes. And he's saying, no, it, listen, God's going to remain faithful because he has to remain faithful. If he doesn't remain faithful, then he cannot judge. He has to remain righteous because if he doesn't remain righteous, he cannot judge. He does not, he would not have the authority to do that. So he has to remain faithful. He has to remain righteous. If their falsehood enhances God's truthfulness and increases his glory, then how can they can be, be still condemned as a sinner? Or should they do evil so that good may result? Paul is basically saying if that's the perception, that's the mindset, that, then they're just proving their condemnation. If all they desire to do is just do evil so that good, good may result. There are people that have taken that, even in, and he has to address it. There are people who that basically saying that's what Paul's encouraging. He's encouraging them to do evil so good may result. He's like, no, that's not what I'm encouraging to do at all. What he's proving to us is that we are faithless, and he will always, always, always remain faithful. The second part of this is that God is going to remain righteous. Everybody say righteous. This is, I'll read verses 9, um, and then maybe, or read verse 10. I'm going to skip some verses all the way down to verse 19 and 20 for the sake of time. Um, basically, it's just, re it's God reading the heart of humanity. Uh, it says, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? No, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under the power of sin. As it is written, basically, there's no one righteous. And for somebody that comes up and says, well, what about me? I might be righteous. He says, not even one. So he knows the whole world. And then he lists all the things that are within the human heart. Then in verse 19, he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. How many know we have physical laws? Correct? How many know physical laws change? Right? Based off of what? Based off who's in charge? How many know there are spiritual laws now? <laughs> spiritual laws. But guess what? The authority hasn't changed. So one difference, the authority hasn't changed. God has spiritual laws. So there are righteous things that he has to do because he has to deal with it. Because he doesn't, it's not avoiding sin he has to address. This is powerful because Paul is building this up now to point number three in a moment. Because he has to get this across to people to understand this whole idea of what righteousness looks like. And so when Paul is, is addressing this, he's saying... All of us are hypocrites. All of us. So when I hear somebody say, I don't want to go to church, they're full of hypocrites, I will agree with you. 
because I'm one of them. And guess what? Room for more. Plenty of room for more. We welcome you because we are all hypocritical. The Bible has revealed our heart, what's within us. You see, a lot of times people think I'm a sinner because I sin. It's much deeper. It's in your human nature. That's why you sin. Now, when it comes to food, I'll give you an example. When it comes to food, when you crave food, how many know you're, the inside of you starts to tell you, I'm hungry, right? My appetite is telling me, I need to eat. So what do you do? If you're holy, you go to Chick-fil-A. If you're unholy, you go somewhere else. <laughs> Just being real. Being real. All right? So when it comes to craving food, you fulfill that, right? You fulfill that need. You go, I've got to fill my stomach up with food because I'm hungry. You and I crave sin. It's in our human nature. That's why we sin. That's so important to address because people want to evaluate the righteousness and say, well, I'm not as bad as that guy is. I'm not as bad as my boss. Do you know she didn't even celebrate Christmas, Pastor Bobby? She didn't even celebrate it. I at least celebrate Jesus' birthday. She's not even celebrating your, his birthday. So why in the I, I am not that bad. God wouldn't send me to hell. No way. I celebrate Christmas. I believe in the good stuff. Me and, me and God, we're, we're buddies, right? I'm not like King David. I'm not committing adultery and I'm not committing murder, right? I'm not doing any of those things. I'm not as bad as he was. And this is what you're doing. You're, you're, you're measuring and justifying your own sin versus somebody else. And what you're doing is you're literally telling God, God, this is, I am the righteous judge. You're not. And God needs to address the unrighteousness that's in our heart because it's in our human nature. Because this is why it's so important to understand that principle that you're not just a sinner because you sin. It's actually in your heart. God reads the entire world. He reads the whole hearts and he knows what's in us. And so it must be addressed because that is who he is. So here's the good stuff right here. You ready? Verse 21 through 26. God's grace remains. God's grace remains. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. I'll stop right there. It says apart from the law. Why? Because Paul is a, is a fair, he was a studier, basically in a, a Pharisee. He studied hard the law, the God's law. He was trained well. He understood this. The law is, is, is giving us a conscience of what sin looks like. That's what he's basically, it's giving us a conscience of what sin looks like. But he notices one thing about the law. The law cannot save. So here we go. You can follow every rule in the book. But if you break it once, you're a lawbreaker. You're a lawbreaker. Go ahead and try to go 90 down Churchville Road. You'll get pulled over, and guess what? You're a lawbreaker, correct? So now that has to be dealt with. There is a payment that you will probably have to pay, a big one. I will not encourage that anywhere, all right? And so that, what Paul is saying is the law cannot save. So what does God do? When, you're in the, when we're in the middle of our mess, right? I'm unfaithful. I'm unrighteous. My righteousness is like filthy rags. It says this, apart from the law. What does that mean? God made a way. 
made a way. Through who? Jesus Christ. He does something that the law could not do. He sends Jesus to save. And here we go. This is how he breaks it down. He says, This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you understand the theme he's saying here? All. All. He keeps saying it. Now, this is so important because on that screen right there, some of you are seeing it on the screen, is there a period or a comma? Comma. So do you see the buildup here? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the law says. You're all unfaithful. You're all unrighteous. But it doesn't have a period there, does it? There's a comma. Because it continues. All short of the glory of God. And all are justified. I love the and there. That is a beautiful place to have right there is and. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. For the sake of time, that's where I'm going to stop. But I think we need to understand the sacrifice of atonement, what that means. That means your debt of sin has been paid. What, does that, what did that payment look like? Jesus' blood shed on the cross. This is why I try to get people to understand when God forgives you, it's not just because he forgave you with a snap of a finger and it disappeared. No, God was righteous and he has to deal with that. He has to deal with it. So bringing up Romans chapter one, remember he introduces the wrath of God. He says the wrath of God should have been placed on you and me. So what does God do? He unleashes his wrath on Jesus. How powerful is it? How powerful is the wrath of God that he unleashes on Jesus Christ? It says, if you study how he died on the cross, Jesus dies on the cross early, correct? He says, it is finished. He dies. He dies early. It's because the weight of sin was placed on his shoulders in that moment, and it's so powerful, it kills the Son of God. It kills him. But praise be to God that he resurrects from the dead. Amen? And this is why it's so pivotal to catch this. Because your sin doesn't just disappear just to disappear. It's much deeper. The wrath of God was placed on Jesus for you. The sin I've committed, the wrath of God was placed on him. It's because of us. He made a way when there was no way. It says, apart from the law. When the law proves itself to be true, we are all unrighteous, all unfaithful. God's grace remained. And it says, apart from it. Even though the law could not save, Jesus could. It's so beautiful to know that we serve a God who's going to be gracious. So how does he remain true? He, he, I mean, he, you've seen it. He's remaining faithful. He's remaining righteous. He's remaining gracious to you. This is why when people reject Jesus, that is a serious offense. Because God is literally saying, do you not know I unleashed my wrath on my son for you? I did it for you. And you said, no thanks? I don't need it? 
and you stand before God. And now your sin remains. It's got to have to be it's going to have to be paid for. You don't have what it ha- you don't have the payment. You don't on your own. He sees your sin. By then it's too late. You don't have a payment for it. And guess what? God gives you something that he doesn't want to give you, but it's because you asked for it. Separation from God, which is scary. It's scary. Jesus calls it hell. It's not because God sends people there. It's because that's what you wish for. You've got to get it perception right. We've got to get the perception right. It's not God sending people there. He's giving them what they wish for in this lifetime. I didn't want anything to do with you, God. God says, even though I disagree, I will give you that. Life without me, forever. No light. All gone. This is what is so powerful, is that when you and I receive this amazing grace, oh man, when you stand before God, guess who he sees? He doesn't see Bobby. He sees Jesus. He says, you're Your debt is paid for. Even though Satan will be hurling accusations at me. God, do you not know what he did to you? Do you not know what he said? He would say, silence. His debt is paid. Completely in full. It's beautiful. This is what the grace of God looks like. And so I don't want people who are not serving Jesus today, who are not serving God right now, to feel feel guilty right now and feel shame condemnation there's a way out for you right now it's like a football player when he's running down the field and he has the ball in his hands there's no defenders in sight he knows he's going to score the crowd knows he's going to score guess what the guy starts celebrating because you know why because he's about to enter the end zone and he just knows that he just scored a touchdown he just scored And so when you come to Jesus, don't come with shame, guilt, and condemnation. Be like, oh, woe is me. No, be like, thank you, God. Thank you. You've made a way. I'm celebrating the fact. So this is why so many people don't receive Christ because they feel so much much shame on them. No, 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 no. He's trying to say, no, I'm about to set you free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. So you... You could be like Saul. You could have everybody fooled. You could have everybody fooled. You could say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I do this, I do that. But the question remains, is Jesus your Lord and is he your Savior? Are you, are you following Jesus? Or have you been like David who says, I humble myself before you because my righteousness is like filthy rags. My fit, I am faithless. God, and I need you. I need your grace. This is why Paul says, my grace, this is what the Lord said to Paul when he was dealing with who he was. And he realizes he's unfaithful, he's unrighteous as a human being. He says, God spoke to me and he says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, because my power is made perfect, not in strength, in weakness. Humility. Humility. And so today, if you want to receive this amazing grace of Jesus Christ, this is your moment.
You may be thinking, well, Pastor Bobby, I'm afraid of what people are going to think about me. I'm afraid of what my spouse or what my parents might say or what this person might say, my boss is here, whatever the case may be. I'm just here to tell you, this is a place where we rejoice in those who come to know him. You see, Jesus is building his church all over the world, one person at a time, life by life. He's big, he's massive, he's also personal. He's coming for the lost. We, we saw a picture of the lamb. It's the going after the one because it's worth it to him. It was worth the, the wrath of God being put on him for that one. It's so beautiful. So if you want to receive Christ today, I'm here to tell you it's the best decision of your life. You've got to make that decision for yourself. I can't do it for you. This congregation is going to cheer you on because that's what heaven is doing for you. Jesus says when one person, life by life, being built, when one person comes to know Jesus, whole heaven is celebrating what he has done in your life. It is, it is a beautiful picture, imagery. And this is what this place is for. This church isn't going to look at you with shame, guilt, and condemnation or whatever you think they're going to do that's not how, I know that's how the world looks, but that's not how the church operates. The church is a reflection of God's grace. Is there also, I'm going to ask the worship team come as we close. Is there a place in your heart or your attitude that needs to change? You see, because the wilderness, you may be feeling the dry season, the, the thing where you're like, God, why aren't you answering? Why aren't you doing this? Why are you not helping me? And all the while, you're, you're in this wilderness, you're in this place, and you're wondering, why is God not doing anything about this? Why isn't God setting me free? Why isn't God doing whatever the case may be? I can't label every single situation. But I'm here to tell you, live in a place of thankfulness, not grumbling. Live in a place of faithfulness, or, or in this place of gratefulness, because it's a place of growth that you're in. It's your perception. You're growing. You're growing because God is about to pour out a blessing and a miracle on your life. And he's got to grow your character so that you handle it well. Because the blessing of God is not selfish. The blessing of God is meant to be shared. It's meant to be shared. It's not just for you. It's for everybody. It's open. Not closed hand, open hand. It's for everybody. So... How do I address that in my own life? I'll give you three things that I do. Three things, and it's worked for me beautifully. I hope it works for you. I do this all the time because I say, God, search my heart. Again, a dangerous prayer. But God reveals something in my life, and I know that it's a character thing that he wants to develop and make stronger in me. And, and a lot of times, it's areas where I was grumbling the most. So this is what I do. I first think, thank God that this dry season is not wasted. It's not wasted. It's not a wasted space. It's actually the place where I will grow the most. Romans 8, 28 says, he is working all the things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. All the dry seasons are being worked for his good. So there's no dry season that's wasted in your life. Zero being used for his glory and he's growing you in it second thing i will do ask god to forgive me my attitude or my grumbling god forgive me for trying to direct the way you should do this i am getting out of that seat now 
and I want you to sit there. God, I'm taking myself out of that position because directing myself is just gonna keep making me wander in the wilderness over and over and over, and I don't wanna live there anymore. So Lord, I want you to do what Psalm 23 verse four says, direct me on that path. You guide me on the right path for your name's sake, Lord, for his name's sake. Because again, he's faithful, he's righteous, he's gracious. It's beautiful. The third thing I will do is declare that God is gonna see me through, through all of it. Because it's building your faith to believe. Because that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to build your faith to believe. And this is why sometimes we say the phrase, God is good, all the time, God is good. Or you may hear a song where they're repeating the phrases over and over. And some people uh, get mad at that because they're like, why do they have to repeat the same phrases over and over again? That's just weird to me. No, 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 no. Sometimes you gotta say that phrase over and over and over because you're not believing it. Let's be honest. You're mad at that phrase. Let's cut to the heart of the matter. You don't like that phrase because you you don't wanna say God is good because you're looking at a situation right now and you're saying, how is God good when this is happening? True? You just don't like the phrase because you don't believe it's true. And what you're doing is you're now combating with your flesh, you're combating with your heart and you're combating with your brain and you've gotta rewire your brain to believe that God is good and he's gonna be good all the time. He is faithful, he is righteous, He is gracious and you're gonna keep saying it and saying it until your soul and your heart and your brain and every part of you starts to believe it. And then you will see the hand of God move. Today, that's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen? The third thing is, I hope today this illustrates how powerful God's grace is in your life. And I hope that today this will develop a greater gratitude of who God is and of his grace over your life because this is a grace that changed the Apostle Paul's life and it continued to change him. Now, there are so many other things that he addresses in this scripture or in this book of Romans. Like, what do I do? What happens when I sin tomorrow, right? What happens, you know, all these different things that are gonna be talked about and thought about and that's why you've gotta remain with us in the book of Romans because Paul addresses those things. So there you go. There's a plug. So stay with us. All right. So today, would you stand with me this morning? Prayer teams come forward. I don't want to rush this moment, but uh, I want those that are on the prayer teams today, if they can come forward. And today, here's what I want for people today more than anything, is I want those who want to make a decision to follow Jesus to make their way forward to these prayer teams. I know that's a bold step for you, uh, but you know what? God's going to meet you. And God's going to pour out his grace and his love and his mercy over your life. Don't let the enemy steal this away from you because that's what he comes to do. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He comes to steal the moment away. He comes to steal your joy. He comes to steal the freedom away from you. And I'm telling you, do not let him do that. You've got to take a step of faith and believe that God is here to pour out his grace on my life, to pour out his love on my life. This is why we celebrate every Sunday, we celebrate the goodness of God. Because what we deserve, we don't want fairness. Because fairness does not leave us in a good place. But we are so dependent on his grace, so dependent on his love, so dependent on his mercy. And that's what's so beautiful. If you're here today 
I encourage you to make your way forward for that moment to happen. Whether now or at the end of service, come forward. Bring somebody with you if that helps you. It doesn't matter. If you're a child with your parents, go forward or, or what, however you decide to do it. These people would love to pray with you in this moment to receive Jesus. If you need a change in heart, a change in situation that you're facing and you just need God to, to break through for you, today these prayer teams will, will lead you in that. Or if you just want to thank God for his amazing grace, thank him in this place. Push past the, the fear, the stress, whatever it may be going on, and say, Lord, thank you. Because the greatest gift of all is truly Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Thank you for unleashing the wrath of my sin, not on me, but on your Son, so that I could be made whole. As the team leads us, let's just begin by doing that. Let's, before they even sing, start to thank God for his grace in this church. Can you do that with me? Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to know you. God, we thank you for the grace that remains true to us today. For every single person in this room, God, I pray that every heart is ready to, to be before you. Lord, let no person out of this place today, Lord, walk out, Lord, with no salvation in their life but that they would experience this for themselves today. Lord, it's not their parents' faith. It's not some generational faith that gets passed down to them. Lord, they have to do it themselves. You made that super clear. Lord, today we thank you. Lord, there's no shame, guilt, or condemnation in your love, but it casts it all out because your grace remains. Lord, we thank you for what the Apostle Paul experienced, but it's also what each and every one of us experienced. And Lord, we will continue to experience that. Lord, we thank you.